When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes, y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42, Puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. It was definitely pre-planned. Other shoppers and police knew immediately South Lake's first murder in 15 years wasn't random. Annam Abbott was stuck waiting until this morning to retrieve her car parked next to the victims. It was a part of the investigation, so they wouldn't, nobody could come in here. It was all um, caution taped out. Definitely a scary, scary situation. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. To many people, drug cartels are the stuff of fiction, as seen in movies and TV shows like Blow, Scarface, Ozark, Breaking Bad, and Weeds. But unfortunately, approximately 150,000 homicide victims and their families know Mexican and Colombian cartels are all too real. Okay, on to the show. There are several cartels in Mexico. One of the oldest is the Gulf Cartel, which got their beginning smuggling alcohol into the U.S. during Prohibition. In 1984, Juan Garcia Abrego took the reins of this drug smuggling business from his uncle. Juan brokered a deal with a Cali cartel, who were facing stricter sanctions in their Caribbean smuggling operations. The deal was a win-win situation for both cartels, as it transferred responsibility of trafficking across the border onto the Gulf cartel, who in turn received as much as 50% of the profits. Abrego was arrested in 1996 and sent to the U.S. By this time, the Gulf cartel was raking in billions of dollars every year and other Mexican cartels were beginning to mimic their methods, particularly in the percentage of profits they received from the Colombian cartels. After Abrego's arrest, Osil Cardenas Guillén took the helm of the Gulf Cartel. Under his reign, the cartel developed a tremendous military wing. He recruited 31 former members of Mexico's special forces to act as security enforcers. He was able to pay them three times what they were paid in the military, 
and this, of course, made it all the more alluring. These 31 former members were sharpshooters, weapons specialists, and participated in rapid deployment operations. This group, the Zetas, were set apart from rival cartels because of their specialized skills. Osiel was more violent and brutal than previous leaders of the Gulf Cartel. He was arrested in 2003 after the U.S. Department of State issued a $2 million reward. Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa was Osiel's personal attorney and served as his emissary after Osiel's arrest. Chapa also worked as an informant for the U.S. government. Osiel had wanted to enter into a plea agreement with the United States government which involved $50 million in cash and assets. Chapa was responsible for transferring these assets to the U.S. government, which put him directly in the crosshairs of the Gulf Cartel and their militant arm, the Zetas. In 2011, Chapa moved to South Lake, Texas, a suburb about 30 minutes northwest of Dallas. He moved his wife, two sons, and daughter into a $1.2 million home, which he used cash to purchase. The home was purchased in the name of Ma G. Algeli Diaz de Sierra. This name was not located in any other public record. On May 22, 2013, Chapa was shopping with his wife at South Lake Town Square. The couple walked into a frozen yogurt shop, then sat outside on a bench with their yogurt. Once they finished, they walked around, eventually walking into a Nine West shoe store, where his wife purchased a pair of shoes. The couple walked back to their Range Rover, and Chapa got into the passenger seat, while his wife put her bags in the back of the Range Rover. At 6.47 p.m., a white Toyota Sequoia stopped behind the Range Rover, and a male stepped out. He was wearing a hoodie and had something obscuring his face. A murder at an exclusive shopping center in Southlake. What we've learned about the suspect vehicle and the victim's possible ties to the Mexican drug cartel. It's 10 o'clock in North Texas. Fox 4 News starts now. Good evening, I'm Felice Tinsley. Several federal agencies are trying to figure out if an attorney and father of three shot to death in South Lake Town Square may have been targeted because of his business connections. First on Fox 1 News at 10, Calvert Collins in South Lake with the latest in this murder investigation. Calvert. Well, Clarice, the police chief here would not confirm 43-year-old Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa's affiliation to the Mexican Gulf Cartel, which is known for distributing cocaine, meth, marijuana, and heroin through Texas and all the way up to Michigan and New York. But Mexican news outlets have reported that the victim in this case was a well-known lawyer for that organization. But that's one reason why so many federal officials are here investigating this murder mystery. The male walked up to the car and fired 10 shots from a 9mm handgun into Chapa's window. Chapa died at the scene. His wife was uninjured. The car drove off and turned west on Farm Road 1709, or South Lake Boulevard. An off-duty officer was outside City Hall a block and a half away, but did not make it to the scene in time to see the suspect vehicle. An autopsy later confirmed Chapa had been shot 10 times and had cocaine in his bloodstream. Chapa had become aware that he had been found through phone calls warning him that he was in danger. When he hung up, he told his wife he was scared and to stop using the cell phones. 
He also said he didn't want to go back to their home because the people looking for him knew where they lived. He rarely left his South Lake home, except to get yogurt. This was the first homicide in South Lake since 1999. Before that, the most recent homicide was from 1994. Both of these homicides from the 1990s were domestic murders. The South Lake police chief assured the public and Choppa's wife that a police officer would be stationed with her until the threat had passed. Surveillance video and an interview with the victim's wife show the couple arrived at 6 p.m. last night and shopped for 45 minutes. His wife was in the driver's seat, and as Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa got into the passenger seat of a Range Rover, police say a white SUV drove up, a man got out, and shot Guerrero Chapa at close range, then took off in that white SUV. Guerrero Chapa died shortly after at Baylor Medical Center Grapevine. The shooter is described as a Hispanic man between 5'7 and 5'10, wearing some kind of mask. Obviously, this was a well-orchestrated, deliberate act involving a specific target. South Lake Police Chief Stephen Milet believes this was a professional hit. A nearby off-duty officer heard the gunshots, so they don't believe a silencer was used. The nature of this homicide, the way it was carried out, indicates, and I say indicates, a, uh, uh, an organization that is uh, trained to do this type of activity. Investigators found nine shell casings next to the victim's car. Police say Guerrero Chapa lived in South Lake for two years, but had no property records under his name. He was a Mexican national, but it's unknown why he was in South Lake. He operated a private business in Mexico and at some point practiced law in Mexico and may have been affiliated with a law firm in South Texas. The state bar does not show he has a law license in Texas. Chapa had also previously represented two other Gulf cartel leaders, Juan Roberto Rincón Rincón, who was sentenced to life in prison on May 15, 2013. His charges and sentence stemmed from a drug trafficking conspiracy that involved more than 10 kilograms of marijuana. His sentence was enhanced because he used grenades, rocket launchers, homemade cannons, and automatic weapons. The other leader was Aurelio Cano Flores, who on May 13, 2013, was sentenced to 35 years in prison for drug trafficking. Aurelio was also ordered to forfeit $15 billion in drug profits. The murder of Chapa exemplified a new problem in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Although 400 miles north of the Mexican border, the central location, highways, and railways made Dallas a prime location for drug trafficking. Steve McCraw, a director and colonel of the Texas Department of Public Safety, said that Mexican cartels constitute the greatest organized crime threat to Texas. According to a Texas Public Safety Threat Overview, Released by the Texas DPS in March 2013, there are eight major Mexican drug cartels, and in 2013, six of these were operating in Texas. Los Zetas, which started as the militant arm of the Gulf Cartel, the Gulf Cartel, the Sinaloa Cartel, the Beltran Leva Organization, La Familia Michoacana, and the Juarez Cartel. The Zetas, La Familia, and the Gulf Cartels have an overlapping geographic region, roughly the eastern half of Texas. The Juarez and Sinaloa cartels operate in the western half of Texas, and the Beltran Leva organization operates on the Gulf Coast. 
In the last two decades, the cartels have expanded their operations beyond drug trafficking to money laundering, oil theft, murder, kidnapping, extortion, and even human trafficking. McCraw said, They've evolved. They've adapted military tactics to engage each other and the Mexican government. They've adopted terroristic tactics that we've never seen before in organized crime. There have never been organized crime groups that have been this depraved before. To make matters worse, the cartels have aligned themselves with gangs in Texas, providing a never-ending pool of cheap labor for surveillance, smuggling, and murder. From April 2006 to March 2013, almost 10 million pounds of drugs had been seized. This equated to an $8 billion street value. Members of the cartels have embedded themselves in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, purchasing unassuming homes and cars, living with their wives and children in ways that do not draw attention. Additionally, many members of the cartels have family who already live in the Dallas area, so they already have a circle of trust established. In 2013, at the time of Chapa's death, 60,000 deaths had been attributed to the drugs and cartels in Mexico. The investigation into Chapa's murder stalled after a few weeks because there was so little evidence left at the scene of the crime. A palm print was found on the side of the Range Rover but did not lead to a match. The SUV used in the hit was found in a rental car parking lot but was nearly pristine upon its return. Finally, a few weeks into the investigation, FBI agents looked under the Range Rover and found their first break in the case, a black plastic box about the size of a deck of playing cards. This turned out to be a GPS tracker manufactured by Blackline. Agents contacted the manufacturer of the tracker and found there were five other trackers associated with the account. Of course, the name on the account and the associated Gmail account were fake, but agents subpoenaed Google and turned up a secondary Gmail address, which led them to a seemingly mild-mannered retired Verizon technician. The man, Jose Cepeda Cortez, was called Joe by his American friends. He had been born in Mexico but lived most of his life in the Rio Grande Valley. His friends thought he was straight-laced, albeit with a goofy sense of humor. After retiring from Verizon, he opened a sign business outside McAllen, Texas. In 2012, he and his two brothers appeared on a television skit show called Tengo Talento, Mucho Talento, which means I have talent, a lot of talent. Their stage name was Los Pachucos, a reference to the Latino Zutsu culture. Agents could not find ties to the cartel in Joe's emails, but did find records of numerous car and property rentals in the months leading up to the murder. The rentals occurred in North Texas and South Florida. They also discovered many emails between Joe and his cousin, Jesus Ledesema Cepeda, otherwise known as Chewy. Chewy was a private investigator in the Monterey area, close to where the victim had lived before fleeing to America. Chewy had worked for the Mexican police for several years and then worked for a secret security intelligence agency. He was also good friends with the leaders of the Beltran-Levia cartel. The email exchanges between the two cousins did not turn up any details of the crime, but did contain numerous links to blogs about Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa. One of these posts alleged that Chapa had run over Mexican federal agents to avoid a subpoena. Once investigators began reviewing the GPS data from the trackers, they could link Joe and Chewy to the area, 
there were other trackers that were often traveling in conjunction with Chapa. Many times the vehicle was immobile. It was discovered to be at an apartment complex just a few miles from Chapa's home in South Lake. Joe and Chewie's names were on the lease, along with a third name, Jesus Lidizema Cambano, who was Chewie's son. Jesus was also called Gerardo. He often helped his father with the investigative work and also owned a nightclub. After Chewie tracked down an arrest photo of Chapa in Florida, they tracked down his brother in West Palm Beach. The trio stayed there for several weeks in December 2011, hoping he would lead them to Chapa. They started using trackers at this time and became proficient in installing them and switching them out. One man would walk past a vehicle, stoop to tie his shoes, and install or swap the tracker. In February 2013, the trio found records of Chapa's sister-in-law, Laura, who lived in Grapevine. They quickly rented a low-budget apartment in Grapevine and began tailing Laura. Sometimes they would physically track her, although they frequently tracked her from the comfort of their apartment using a program on a tablet. In March 2013, Laura made a stop two days in a row at a house in South Lake. She had never been there before, and it piqued the trio's interest. They determined this was Chapa's neighborhood. In April 2013, the men installed game cameras at the entrance of Chapa's neighborhood and placed trackers on Chapa's cars. As investigators expanded their investigation and search, they found that they were dealing with a serial killer or killers. One of the trackers associated with Joe and Chewie had traveled to Mexico and were in the car of a dead man. A list was found in Joe's email and seven or eight of the 50 people listed were dead. Although investigators were closing in, they still didn't have a clear motive. The agents assigned to the case believed that a member of the Beltran Levia organization was responsible for the two-year surveillance on Chapa. Rodolfo Villarreal Hernandez was a plaza boss, a cartel leader in charge of a specific area. On the street, Rodolfo was best known as El Gato, which means the cat. Josh Burgess, lead investigator on the case, became concerned for his family's safety, as this case proved the cartel would go to any length. He installed special safety features on his home, including a strike plate on his front door, so no one could kick it in. Although they had enough information and evidence to arrest the trio involved in the surveillance, they knew it was a waiting game. If they arrested Joe, living in Texas, they would never get Chewy or Gerardo, who were living in Mexico. Arresting this pair in Mexico would have been tricky since they were affiliated with a cartel, so they waited. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Trust me, I have been there and I still struggle with these issues. But BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you like it's been there for me. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, which is so convenient for me, and it really makes me feel comfortable. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you need to. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in LGBTQ matters, 
grief, self-esteem, trauma, relationships, anxiety, you name it. Anything you share with them is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, and they're available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. The best thing is it's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and it's not a crisis line. Best of all, like I said, it's a truly affordable option. True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code TCFC. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com TCFC. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com TCFC to get 10% off your first month. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Finally, in September 2014, their patience paid off. Gerardo and Chewy crossed the U.S.-Mexican border. The two men were arrested, and just a short while later, Joe was arrested as well. As Chewy was being questioned, he played innocent, saying he and Gerardo had only crossed the border to buy baby clothes for Gerardo's baby. However, searching the car, they found a tracker and a notebook with a list of names written in it. Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa's name was in the notebook, crossed out. After several days of interrogation, Chewy provided more information, but said there was no place in the world El Gato couldn't find him. I'm a dead man, he said. He also told investigators that he had told El Gato Southlake was not the place to carry out the hit. Investigators wanted one of the three to flip on the other two. Finally, after months of discussion with Gerardo's attorney, Gerardo agreed to testify against his father and uncle for a lighter sentence. The other two men were charged with federal stalking charges and conspiracy to commit murder. Gerardo offered the motive to investigators. He said when he met with Elgato for the first time, men were carrying automatic weapons and he saw a bloody chainsaw. Elgato explained that he believed Chapa was responsible for the death of his own father many years before. Elgato and Chapa were from the same small town in Mexico, where Elgato's father was a police officer when he was murdered. Gerardo had attempted to quit at one point, but Elgato sent men after him. These men attacked Gerardo one day while he was riding his motorcycle. They shot at him, knocked him off his bike, and ran him over. Once he had recovered, Gerardo resumed the search. Prior to the murders, Elgato sent the men who would conduct the actual murders to meet with Gerardo, Chewie, and Joe. These men were only known as Capitan, or Captain, a nod to his rank in the Mexican army, and Clorox, so-called for using bleach to clean up his crime scenes for Elgato. On the day of the murder, Chewie and Gerardo 
trailed Juan's wife to Walmart and swapped the Range Rover's tracker for another one. They followed her back home, and then again at 5.45, they followed the Range Rover as it left again. Gerardo said his father was acting oddly and even turned off the tracker on their vehicle. He also told Gerardo to turn off his phone. Believing they would look odd sitting in the car together, Chewy sent his son to the coffee shop for coffee. Gerardo noticed Capitan and Clorox in the parking lot as he went to the coffee shop. He told investigators right after he paid for the coffees, people rushed to the door. The murder had just occurred. The next day, Chewy lost no time in getting back across the border. Gerardo stayed at a motel in McAllen, Texas, doing paperwork on a Ford Bronco he was going to sell in Mexico. Before he crossed the border, his father called and told him to pick up cases of Michelob beer because El Gato wanted to throw them a party. In 2016, another man was included as a co-conspirator in the murder of Chapa. Luis Lauro Ramirez Bautista was the man who provided the financial resources to finance the search. Luis had been stopped at the U.S.-Mexico border in 2011 and told a Border Patrol agent he was looking for Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa. He told the Border Patrol agent that Chapa was a drug dealer who needed to be deported back to Mexico. Court documents issued on May 29, 2016, stated the meeting at the border was designed to enlist the assistance of the government in returning Guerrero to Mexico so that Ramirez Bautista and others could kill him. Court documents issued on May 29, 2016, stated the meeting at the border was designed to enlist the assistance of the government in returning Guerrero to Mexico so that Ramirez Bautista and others could kill him. When that plan fell through, Luis sent a drug dealer four times between November 2012 and January 2013 to pay Jesus Cepeda $38,000. When the first three suspects went to trial in 2016, it came to light that Juan's sister, Dariela Chapa, had planned a killing in retaliation. She had one of Elgato's relatives beheaded and sent the video to Elgato. It is not known who the relative was or what relationship the victim had with Elgato. On February 23, 2016, one of Chapa's brothers-in-law was found shot to death in Monterey, Mexico. Moises Tijena de la Garza's name was found in Chewy's emails. During the trial of the three men who were arrested for stalking Chapa and his family, Chewy told the courtroom he still had about 20 relatives in Mexico that he had to constantly move for their own protection. Testimony at the trial revealed other details about Chapa and his relationship to the cartel. Once his boss, Osiel Cardenas Guillén, was arrested, Chapa became an informant for the U.S. government. This was part of Osiel's plan, hoping that he could receive a more lenient sentence if he had a high-ranking member of his organization cooperating with the U.S. government. One of Chapa's jobs after Osiel's arrest was to lean on the Gulf Cartel and the Setas to collect millions of dollars. Many of the leaders believed this money was being given so that Osiel could be released early from prison. Some of the money Chapa recovered came from Osiel's private hidden stash. Paranoid that the U.S. government would seize his money, Osiel had avoided banks and buried millions under homes and ranches. Chapa personally collected money from nine underground bunkers in Tamaulipas and Nuevo León. 
Champa also negotiated disputes among cartel members, including cocaine payment issues, and a fight over more than 500 acres of a beachfront property in Tapico. He negotiated hostage releases between rival cartels and provided the Mexican military aid in capturing cartel figures. He provided the U.S. with names of leading Mexican officials who were corrupt and gave up the names and locations of cartel leaders. At trial, the prosecutors worried that Chapa would not be a very sympathetic victim because of his ties to the cartel. However, his wife provided dramatic and emotional testimony as she told how it felt to watch him die. Gerardo provided the most detailed testimony in the case as he described how El Gato rewarded him and his father for the death of Chapa. El Gato gave them a BMW and a hunting trip. In the end, Joe and Chewy were found guilty of federal stalking charges and conspiracy to commit murder. Both men were sentenced to life in prison. Gerardo was found guilty of federal stalking charges and was sentenced to 20 years. El Gato, Clorox, and Capitan are still on the run. El Gato, also known by his name, José Rudolfo Villarreal Hernández, was added to the FBI's most wanted list on October 23, 2020. A reward of $1 million is available for information leading to his arrest. He is considered armed and dangerous. El Gato is 42 years old, 5 feet 4 inches tall, and weighs approximately 165 pounds. He has ties to Monterey, Mexico, and Mexico City, Mexico. Despite anti-drug government measures dating back to 2006, thousands of drug-related homicides continue on both sides of the border. Between 2006 and 2019, there were 300,000 drug-related homicides in Mexico, including an all-time high of 36,000 in 2018, which equates to 90 murders a day. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is truecrimefanclub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. This episode was written and researched by Susie St. John, content editing by Brittany Martinez, produced by the best in the business, Nico, at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or wetalkofdreams.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.